Timothy chapter 3. We'll be continuing our study there tonight. And before we get started, we want to go ahead and just pray and ask once more the Lord to bless our time of study tonight in His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for just the opportunity to be here tonight, God, and to worship You. We thank You for the ministry of Your Holy Spirit, God, that comforts our hearts and strengthens our lives and renews our minds. And Lord, we ask now that You would open up our hearts to hear from something from Your Word, Lord. God, we don't want to just become, oh, just religious in our study. We don't want to just do something out of some road or habit, God. We, we want each time that we come to your word to be something that would be alive and fresh, God, that, something that would be made real by your spirit. Because our hearts want to be instructed with, by you, Lord. We want to come into the truth. We want to know the truth. Jesus, you said that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. So tonight, Lord, we come. Our hearts are hungry, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, fill us up with truth from your word, and that truth would just go deep into our hearts, Lord, and touch our lives in a meaningful way for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Second Timothy, and you remember last week we started through at the beginning of chapter 3, and we started what we entitled the, the Top 20 of Perilous Times. And we made it through the first seven. We'll pick it up tonight uh, at, at the eighth point on Paul's list here. But just again to set the, set the context for us, just look at chapter 3, verse 1, the last days, events that, that will tend to wax worse as the last days go on. And I think as we look through, we did last week and continue this week, we'll, we notice that much of what we see in our own culture, much of what we can just easily turn on, and, but Paul is even warning that these types of things are going to become um, issues within the church, even within the, the body of Christ, uh, perilous times will be coming. And so this will be the direction that the church begins to slide. Paul talks in another place about a great falling away. Uh, the Bible does not predict that things will be getting better and better. In fact, it seems to indicate that, that things, man will grow worse and worse. And another place, the love of many will grow cold and, and spiritual life will become more and more difficult for those that want to serve the Lord in, in the surroundings that we, are, we find ourselves in. And I, I think we are in that type of time. And that's why I believe this passage is very relevant uh, for our own lives the types of things that we want to be looking out for, and the types of things we want to be guarding our own hearts against. So with that in mind, let's pick it up here. We, we read through the first seven things there, picking it up at the last part of verse 2. Last week we talked about that there would be men would be, begin, become unthankful. Remember, so much of this stems from what we saw there in verse 2, the first part of verse 2. Men will become lovers of themselves. And when they become lovers of themselves, all these other attributes seem to kind of fall like dominoes into their character. They'd be unthankful. And then the eighth thing mentioned on the list, they will become unholy. Unholy is uh, indecent. No regard for what is right or sacred. I can't help but think about how often I hear the Lord's name in vain. Just even in what would otherwise be very clean movies, you hear the Lord's name so often taken in vain. You hear it out and uh, you walk out, just walk out in the street. It's 
Jesus this and God this and God that and so much. There's just there, men. There's no there's no reverence for anything that's sacred. There's no sense of um, holiness about God any longer. It's just very casual. And this is, of course, something that marks perilous, the perilous times that we're talking about. Number eight is that the men would be unholy. Number nine, they would become unloving. The word here is astorgos, and it's also translated without natural affection. Speaking here about um, the love of family, uh, the natural love that, that parents would have for their children without natural affection. Even those things that you would consider to be natural become unnatural in perilous times. The, the love that you would just anticipate would be there. Just even non-Christians, there would be love amongst family, love for children, love between husbands and wives. The Bible says that in the last days, people are going to become unloving. That natural affection that, that you would have is going to be gone. When I read that, of course, my mind thinks about uh, abortion, and just that, that natural care that a, that a woman would have for a child or a fetus in her womb, that's being tossed aside now. And uh, my life and my convenience and what I'm, you know, what I'm doing with my life, very self-centered. Alan, if you could just turn this down a little bit. It's kind of boomy for me. Um, we see that that's just becoming, you know, part of our culture. That, that's a lack of natural affection. That's not normal for women to want to abort a fetus. That's not a normal thing. It's become normal in our society and normal in our culture. But that, that goes against even those things that God has instinctively put into the heart of men. So this is, again, the, it marks the times. There's just a lack of love. And, of course, that's just one example. I mean, you know, there's, just, there's a lack of tenderness and kindness even amongst families. You know, I don't, uh, I don't suggest anybody watch any of these shows, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you see some of those television shows where they take these families that are just totally dysfunctional and they put them on TV and they, they air all of their ugly laundry and they're screaming at each other and throwing chairs at each other. I mean, it's this complete lack of love and the complete lack of tenderness amongst even family members. Paul said that would be a time that would be that would mark the last days, part of the perilous times. Number ten, unforgiving. This this word also means irreconcilable. An unforgiveness in the heart. People get wronged and they become bitter, and they can't be reconciled. You hurt me, and I'm going to get even. And I hate you. And I'm, you know, some of, some of the hurts are legitimate. People do hurt us. Even in the body of Christ, people, we, we're human. We step on one another's toes. But one of the spirit of the times is that there be a lack of forgiveness. People just won't be able to get over it. You ever had that happen? You ever offended someone and they just, they can't forgive you? They can't, you can't win them back. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, you know, they're hurt, they're offended. You know, they're irreconcilable. They simply will not yield in, in forgiveness. Can't be reconciled. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. I'll read it for you. Pursue peace with all people and holiness with which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, 
and by this many become defiled. Unforgiveness is a root of bitterness. And what happens is your own, you poison your own well. Unforgiveness, the one that's holding on to the unforgiveness suffers more than the one who needs, who who's, needs to be forgiven. In, some, in fact, sometimes people offend you and they don't even know it. And you're offended and you're mad. And they're just, you know, they haven't even, they're not even aware that they've offended you. Or even if they are, they don't, some people don't care. And yet that unforgiveness, who's suffering? The person that offended you? They're just going about their merry way. They said they, they, maybe they don't know, or maybe, like I said, they're not interested in, they're not worried about it. You're the one. Your own spirit gets bitter. Your own heart becomes uh, heavy with the weight of this being wronged, and why did they do that, and what, what were they thinking, and how could they do that to me, and all this stuff stews within us. You know, it's better just to forgive. It really is better for you and your own spiritual health to just let it go. God's got your destiny. God has control of your life. There's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. If God is for you, who can be against you? What can man do to you? Jesus said, don't fear man. Fear God. Don't worry about what man can or can't do. Worry about what God thinks. God is the one watching your coming and going. And and as you hold on to unforgiveness, you alienate yourself even from the Lord. Even God looks upon that and says, hey, that's gotta, you've got to make that right. And remember one of the disciples, Peter said, well, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? Thinking he was very spiritual. Jesus said, no, try 70 times seven. The emphasis is forgive. Your own well will be poisoned if you don't. That root of bitterness and what happens as, as Hebrews warns us, it will spring up and cause trouble and many become defiled. That bitterness doesn't heal itself. That bitterness, the root grows deeper and ultimately it springs up and it causes trouble and defiles others. Paul said that unforgiveness would be one of those things, one of the signs marking the last days. Number 11, slanderers. Slanderers. The Greek word is diabolos, where we get the word diabolical, diabolos. And it means, literally, it means accuser. And it's used 34 times in the New Testament as a title for Satan. This slandering, false accusation, malicious gossip, tearing someone down verbally, slander, it's the same word that, that's used to describe Satan, the devil. That's how evil it is. That's what kind of uh, damage it can cause in, in our lives and in our fellowships. Jesus referred to Satan as the accuser of the brethren. He falsely accuses the brethren. He's always looking to cause man to be guilty before God. He'll also speak and whisper into your ear as well. You're, who do you think you are? You're no good. God doesn't love you. If God loved you, why would this be happening? Remember when he spoke to Eve? Did God really say that? God doesn't want you to enjoy that fruit because he knows you're going to be like him. And he accused God. And he does the same thing with, with uh, the brethren. He accuses the brethren. He accuses us. And he accuses your brothers. And, so, and he can cause you, if you get, allow that whispering voice in your head, you can, you can get 
offended with people just because something in your head is, is beginning to, to fester on that. And slander is using our words to tear one another down, you, accusing our brethren. Oh, well, he, did you hear about this? Did you hear that? Well, huh, you got to hear this. And, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly our ears perk up, you know, when there's some bad news to be spread. And the scripture speaks here that it will be one of the signs of the times, slandering, that just be slander and accusation. We, have, we see that regularly. That men would be without self-control, without self-control. No restraint, that's number 12. No shame. They are powerless in, in some ways. This could refer to addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography. They have no self-control. They're not even able to control themselves in areas that they might want to. But it means even beyond that, they really don't care about to try to control themselves. There is no shame. There is no restraint. Talk about what you want. And I, I, I can't, you know, what can we say? What do you see on the television? I'm, I'm telling you, things are just, there is no, more any, no longer any shame. Just in the, you know, when I was a teenager growing up, just 20 years ago, the things that we see today and what are promoted on, you know, it, something has happened in the culture. There's been a... You know, it's in the language, it's in the, uh, the, the nudity that's allowed even on television, it's, it's in the dress, the way people are dressing. There's just, there's no restraint, there's no sense of self-control. People just do what they want, and it's none of your business, and that certainly is something that marks our time here in the end times as well. Number 13, brutal not tame, violent, almost animal-like. Boy, we see a lot of that. We see a lot of violence in our culture today, don't we? Men have become brutal. Teenagers have become brutal. There's just this uh, violence. People are so, I mean, they can, uh, they can be offended. They, a small argument can turn into just a, a, a deadly exchange. If somebody has a weapon, they'll, they'll kill you. For, for something. They'll, they'll rob you and kill you for, for virtually nothing. It's a, there's a brutalness. There's just a violence, all, like, almost like the, you know, the wild kingdom, animal-like. And that's what the word refers to. We see that. Men will become despisers of good, number 14. Despisers of good. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's upside-down morality. It's when, when that which is evil, okay, I mentioned abortion. I'll use it again just as an example. When that which is evil, and according to Scripture, you know, a child, the Lord, David said, Lord, you knew me in my mother's womb. God recognizes the individual even as a fetus in the womb. To abort that fetus is nothing less than murder, sacrificing a life for your own lifestyle. But that, that, that's evil. But it's being called good. It's a woman's right. It's my body. I should be able to do what... When evil is spoken, is well spoken of, Paul said that's a sign of the time. And I'll say this, if you look out through history and you look, this is typically one of the last phases of a society before God begins to bring judgment. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, 
If you look at even the nation of Israel, when God finally began to judge in, uh, in, in history past, this is one of the things that begins to happen in the society. Morality is turned upside down. Um, I, I was watching on the news the other day just this, this story where uh, in one of the schools they, they wanted to um, teach this homosexually slanted um, uh, story about two princes, two male princes falling in love and starting a family and kissing at the end of the story. And they, they taught this story in the school. And of course, some of the parents said, hey, we don't want that. And, you know, there's big fuss with the school board. Well, we have the right to teach that. Children need to be aware that there are other lifestyles. They need to be tolerant of all these other views. And yet you think about that, but you can't pray in school. You can't, you know, uh, sing God Bless America. You can't. Something is upside down. And that's what this newscaster was saying. What, you know, what's going on? You know, you, you, we can't pray, but we can, tell a, we can tell a story that has a clear political agenda. But, you know, we don't, we don't want God in our school. So when these types of things happen, you have to realize that the culture is sliding towards a place where really all it has to look forward to is the judgment of God. God will begin to deal with that society. And I think we're, we're experiencing already some of that. You, you begin to have it just in, in your own, in the culture and the way things, you know, we have crazy things going on and that's part of it. But eventually God will begin to raise his hand against a nation that, uh, where good becomes evil and evil becomes good. Number 15, men will be traitors. You remember Judas, the betrayer. Men will become traitors. There will be no loyalty. There will be no friendship. There will be no sense of loyalty amongst people, whether it be in marriage, whether it be in business, whether it be in friendship. People will become traitors. People will turn against one another. Number 16, people will become headstrong. This has the idea of being reckless, careless, determined to have their own way. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care who I step on. I don't care who gets in my way. I want what I want. And I'm going to have it, and nobody's going to deny me my own way. Headstrong. Haughty. This means conceited. That's number 17. Conceited. Be clouded with oneself is the literal translation. It carries the idea that one is puffed up with one's own importance. Ever been around somebody that's puffed up with their own importance? Ever been in with somebody who thinks, thinks they're the, the most important person in the room? <laughs> no matter what room they're in, no matter where they go, they're, it's... You know, we, we, we joke about it. It's not all about you, you know. But there are people that genuinely believe that it really is all about them. And we see that even in personalities more and more often now in our time. Haughtiness. Number 18, they will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, that describes our day. They will become pursuers of entertainment, recreation, comfort, pleasure, all of that will become first before God. Now, keep in mind, Paul is, is talking about situations, uh, uh, things that are not just going on out in the world, as we're going to find out later. He's saying that he's, in verse 5, he says, these are people that have a form of godliness. We're talking about things that are actually creeping into the life even of the church. And I see this, this lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's not that they... They don't want God in their lives at all, 
but they don't want to make any sacrifices of their pleasure and their entertainment and their recreation. God is somewhere down on the list. And the pursuit of pleasure is placed more highly than their own love for God. You know, churches today are trying to adapt to that mindset. You know, churches are smart. People in churches are smart. They know people are are pursuers of pleasure. They know people want to be entertained. They know people are, we live in an entertainment culture. And so guess what they do? Well, if we're going to get people to come to church, we're going to have to entertain them. We're going to have to do things that, that attract them to come to church. Because they don't, people don't want to come and just love God. They don't want to come and just study His Word. They don't want to come and grow spiritually. If you can't entertain me, I, I really would just rather stay home. There's some really good entertainment on at home. There's a really good football game this weekend. There's really, uh, I have other things to do to busy my life with. But I'm telling you, those things are empty. And if you've ever, you know, if, if you've been on that type of cycle, you know how empty those things can be. You know, I'm thinking even in my own life, I remember there was a time when, when I wanted God, but I wanted him kind of compartmentalized. He was a part of my life, an important part, but he just wasn't the whole of my heart. And I had other interests, and I, and I put the Lord aside, and particularly ministry, particularly the idea of getting too committed, giving too much time, giving, you know, getting overly committed and overly involved, where, you know, I have to start sacrificing, you know, things that I wanted to do. And priorities, you know, and, and we wrestle with that. Even today, I think, in the church, we, we wrestle with that. And Paul is saying, when you love God more than anything else, It'll show up in your lifestyle. It'll show up in the way you prioritize your life. It'll absolutely begin to take precedent. And these other things, they won't be able to hold you. And I've shared this with you before. I I lived my life a long time that way, pursuing pleasure. And I'm not even talking about sinful pleasure, although, you know, that's out there too. I'm just talking about my own comforts, wanting to have my own way, wanting to enjoy my life. And in America, we have so many things to enjoy. And when, you know, church, God, spiritual things, serving the Lord, you know, we have to keep it in balance, right? Paul said it this way, For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I live for a one purpose and one purpose alone, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says there'll be men will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Revelation 2, verse 4 says this, Nevertheless, speaking to his church, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. God is not interested in being uh, second or third on your priority list. God's not interested. God, listen, God doesn't need you to make him, uh, make room for him in your life. God's not insecure, wanting, oh, please, please be my friend. God, God gives you the privilege to come and be reconciled to him. God, God gives you the opportunity to come and allow him to have relationship with you through what he's done for you in Christ. The privilege is ours, not God's privilege to be you know, get some of our time. He, he gave us whatever time we have. You, to, if, if you live tomorrow, it's because God has, given, has been gracious in giving you another day.
It's a matter of loving God first before these other things. And Paul says that men will eventually become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 19, or excuse me, number 19 on the list, sorry. Uh, verse 5. Men will have a form of godliness. They will, there will be a form of godliness. This is concerned with the outward form. You may remember Jesus when he spoke to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This has to do with men who have a religious appearance. They may go to church. They may even put time and duty in. They may do this for to the easing of their own conscience. But they continue to live their own lives inwardly. They, they, you know, they go about their own way. They don't, God is, is not their priority, but they hold a form of godliness. We have... Um, We have some wonderful music going. <laughs> he also says, and I'll make this 20th on my list, that although they would have a form of godliness, they will deny its power. They will deny the power of God. I really think that we are seeing that today, and I think we see that even beginning to take place in the life of the church where there is a form of godliness, but there's no real power to change lives. We see things going on, and there's movements and doctrines that blow through the church, and you've seen it. If you've been a Christian for very long, you've, you've seen different fads come and go in the life of the church. And today we have several fads that are blowing through today. And I, I mentioned some of it earlier. There's, there's really an emphasis now on self-fulfillment, um, you know, and, and, and a, a focus on self. And we have churches gearing and modeling services all to try to a, appeal to the, to the betterment of self rather than to the glory of God. Doc, their doctrine is very slanted, always certain, you know, I, I call it cherry picking. Uh, you know, they, they go through and they, they always preaching the, the, the types of doctrine that would you know, edify one's self, build you up, make you feel better about yourself. Oh, God's this for you. God's that for you. God's going to this for you. You're going to have this. You're going to be, you know, be positive. God wants you to be positive. You're going to do this. And, and it's just, the message is, it, you know, it gets repackaged. There's a little different story and a little different joke that's told each Sunday, but it's pretty much the same message. And that same message just repeats. There's no working their way through Scripture. There's no teaching of the God's Word and concerning the whole counsel of God. But rather, it's just this very narrowly focused, giving people what they want to hear. And they have itching ears, and oh, they flock to that kind of thing. And it makes them feel good, and it pumps them up, and they walk out charged up. And boy, they need to get back there next week for their recharge, and it, it, it becomes this cycle. They have a form of godliness because, you know, they're talking about spiritual things. They're talking about the Lord. They're, putting, they're, they're couching it in a, in a church environment, but there's no power. People's lives aren't being challenged. They're not being confronted about sin. They're not being told 
the, the principles of God's Word that ultimately we all have to hear and learn to walk consistently and faithfully. You're going to have bad days. You're, you're going to have difficulties. And, you, and it's going to take more than just a good attitude to walk through it. It's going to take the power of God. It's going to take the grace of God. It's going to take the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take the body of Christ coming alongside and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's going to take the full counsel of God. And I'm not trying to, you know, come against any ministry in particular. I'm talking about a flavor of ministry that is, you know, out there and being, you know, it's out there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, here we are. You know, what, what, what do I know? We're just a little group here tonight, you know. Maybe if I, I ought to try some of this, it might, you know, we might be able to fill this place. We're going to read on. We're going to study on what Paul's remedy to that is. But I, I really think that it's a sign of the times. I think we're living in a time when people, they want to feel good. They want a light message. They want a little drama, a little, a little entertainment few stories, warm my heart, send me out the door so that I can get back to my life and feel like I, I, I took in a little bit of Christianity, did my religious duty, got my, my, I've got my form of godliness, but there's no brokenness, there's no genuine power of God, there's no real transformation, there's no real, um, you know, what, what Paul teaches through the Word, that that come to the cross experience and die to yourself that Christ might live in you and through you. And I think you can only find that as we work our way through the whole counsel of God. Paul talks about that, and when he, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. They hold to a form of God. Paul talks about that when he was exhorting the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. We'll look at it later. But basically he said, look, I, night and day I was teaching with you, and I... I, sh- I did not shun the counsel of God. I taught you everything. I didn't hold anything back. I gave you the whole story. And today we see, as I said, just a kind of a, a cherry-picking doctrine, that which you know, is, is t- ear-tickling and pleasing, and people flock to it, but I don't believe that it has the power. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified, for every good work. An unchanged life is a life without power. Form without force. Religion without reality. Those are the 20 things that the Apostle Paul speaks of concerning that which we would find in the, in the end times, that which we would be about us in the last days. What we will look at, and we'll close tonight because we don't have enough time to really get started on the, on the rest of it, but what we'll look at next week is what I believe Paul encourages Timothy, how to respond. How do we respond to these perilous times? What are uh, we as Christians to do? I don't think any of you would disagree with me that what I just read on that list of 20, you can see spots of that all in our culture, all in our day. What do we do? Paul, this is so discouraging. Things are are getting bad. They're going to get worse. What's our response? Well, Paul is going to teach that, and we'll look at that next, next time. In verses 5 through 17, we'll call that responding to perilous times. But I'll close with this because he says it right here in verse 5. And from such people turn away. 
That will be our first point. One of the things that you have to do in perilous times, you've got to turn away from some things. There are some things that you simply have to put away from your life. We'll also see that he gives instruction on there are some things that we must carefully follow. And then there are some things that we must continue in. So next week we'll look at that turning away, and we'll close there tonight. And I want to. We have just we have a few minutes here since we kind of finished our study early. I didn't want to start a whole new section tonight with with just the limited time. But we have a few minutes here just to pray. And um, there may be some people here that have needs for prayer. And I'd like us to pray as a body. Um, I think um, what I'll do is um, ask if there are any really uh, specific needs that we can pray for. We're a small enough group tonight where we could uh, pray for you, lay hands on you, pray for you. So if you're here tonight and you have, you're facing some kind of a, a real crisis, a real prayer need, maybe in your family or uh, you know, yourself, even yourself personally, and you would like the church to, to just gather around you tonight and pray for you. We'd like to do that. Is there anybody here tonight that we can pray for? Yes. 